0: Welcome to Habits for Happiness with Lady Fuller. The path to happiness is paved with healthy habits. We spend much of our lives searching for happiness when the key we're looking for is right there inside of us. We can discover that key through habit change, which you're about to learn about. Now, here's your host, Lady Fuller.
1: I am Lady Fuller, your host here for Habits for Happiness, a new show here on Voice America's Empowerment Network. Today is an amazing and special day. It's my maiden voyage, and it's my first show here on Voice America. So, thanks for being with us. Our guest today is the amazing Pat Dossett. He's an amazing human, so inspirational. He's a former US Navy SEAL and now head of the groundbreaking habit change program called Made For. But before we bring Pat on, I want to take a few minutes to let you know a little bit more about me, as well as the show's mission and how we can help you as the listeners specifically in your own lives. So yes, (laughs) my name is Lady, you're probably wondering, spelled L-A-D-Y, and I'm blaming it on my Southern parents as I hail from New Orleans. And I would be remiss right now if I didn't give a big shout out to all those recovering from Hurricane Ida. So prayers and love to all those in New Orleans and the Eastern seaboard who are facing the after effects of that storm. So again, I'm Lady Fuller and I'm a habits and success coach. So I often joke with people that I'm a (laughs) bad habits coach. I help people drop bad habits and adopt healthier habits to have and live happier lives. So I mainly work with overthinkers. I primarily help working professionals in midlife, you know, get out of their heads and really into their hearts. So I now live in the mountains of Colorado, and the journey between New Orleans and Colorado, to say the least, (laughs) has been a crooked one. I am a recovering entrepreneur. For those of you who've ever started small businesses, you might resonate with that. I've started quite a few businesses. I've sold some, and I've closed some. I've earned my MBA, and I have two beautiful children. So how did I become a coach? I got to a point in my life in my early 40s where I had checked all the boxes in the outside world that I thought would bring me fulfillment and happiness. But I found myself in my early 40s, you know, deeply, deeply unhappy. I was super stuck and I was unsure why i had accomplished what I taught, what I thought I was, you know, and taught I needed to accomplish. But I still felt super empty, like totally vapid inside. And I kind of became obsessed with this idea of happiness. I became obsessed with the idea of like, where in the world was it (laughs) and why didn't I have it? (laughs) And so, you know, fast forward to a lot of searching, I had a lot of therapy, self-development, reading and research. And I finally received a master's certificate in habit coaching. And what I found was funnily enough that something that the wise ancients have been telling us for centuries. So that shiny object, that entire road to happiness, in fact, It is and it always has been inside of us. So, you know, what we seek exists in this internal world and not in the external world. So you may be thinking as you're listening that why have we lost the ability to hear what former generations have been trying to tell us, you know, for eons, right? Um, You know, because the world is so noisy now. It's obviously much different than it's ever been in the course of history and it's become completely countercultural to believe that we have agency over our well-being and it has become countercultural to believe that external events and experiences are happening for us not to us and so you may be thinking as you're listening that well that's all fine dandy lady you're telling me that my personal happiness is within but all these things are happening to me and where are the keys you know how do i how do i get there how do i find that place inside of myself and truthfully, that's what is the mission of this show, for you to learn that you each have the power to transform your lives with some free small tweaks to your daily routines. So over the next 13 weeks, I'll bring on a spectacular guests like Pat, who each will discuss a particular habit that's close to their hearts. Um, spoiler alert: today's habit is the Keystone habit of kindness. So I'm a firm believer that how we show up each day is just a snapshot of how we show up in our lives and that our lives are just a collection of all of our days. So if we can learn to concentrate on how we show up each day and look even more minute at each small behavioral changes we can make inside of our days, then the amazing news is we can change the entire course of our lives. So without further ado... I'd like to introduce you to today's guest, the super impressive and inspirational Pat Dossett. So Pat is a graduate of the US Naval Academy. He spent nine and a half years as a US Navy SEAL. And following his service, Pat received an MBA from Wharton and was a Tillman Scholar. Pat spent three years at Google before founding the habit change program Made For and now is the president and CEO of Made For. So welcome, Pat.
2: Thank you, lady. I'm excited to be here and, oh, yeah! Uh, honored to be here for your first show.
1: <laughs> well, we're so happy to have you. You know, I have to tell everyone I'm a recent graduate of your Made For program, and I've seen so many countless videos with you and experts. It's such an honor to have you here as my guest, and I want to thank you for your service um, as a U.S. Navy SEAL, and thank you so much for being here today. Thank you. So, so good to <laughs> I know our listeners are probably chomping at the bit, you know, people hear the word like U.S. Navy SEAL, and they're like, I want to know more about that. So first, I guess, you know, I want to just say, and um, I bet, let's see if this resonates, but I'm a huge fan of Joseph Campbell's Hero's Journey. Um, I like to look at the lens of life through that lens, right? And you seem to have completely personified that journey through your time at the SEALs and definitely in your time beyond so um I read somewhere that you read this book, Rogue Warriors in Seventh Grade, and then decided to be a Navy SEAL. So I want you to tell us if that's true. And if so, more about it.
2: It it uh it absolutely is true, maybe slightly embarrassing, but yeah, I I had never heard of the SEALs um, until I read that book. And the book is a is well well known within the SEAL community, Rogue Warrior, written by a gentleman named Dick Marcinko, who is uh, one of the one of uh, one of the famous um, Famous seals and um, really a, an institutional figure in the seal community. Uh, but I read that book and I remember thinking as I was reading it, this sounds impossible and amazing and exciting, and this is what I want to do. Uh, from a very early age, my my father raised me with this mindset of anytime you encounter a decision in life for a challenge, there's always going to be an easy way and a hard way. And if you just pick the hard way, 99.99% of the time, that's the right way. And so I think he had beat that drum so much that I had internalized it. And when I read that book, it sounded like maybe the hardest thing you could do. And, um, <laughs> it kind of sit, it yes. set me on my course. So
1: you definitely listened to him <laughs>
2: <laughs> Yeah. Getting
1: I, a for listening.
2: <laughs> that, that's it. And so, yeah, it, um, it, it just started, uh, you know, planted a seed that continued to grow over time. And I was, I was fortunate enough to get, um, appointed, uh, a slot to the Naval Academy out of high school. And then out of the Naval Academy, I was, I was lucky enough to get a slot to SEAL training. And that was in 2002 and then went on to spend, um, you know, the next nine and a half years in the SEAL teams. And I couldn't be more thankful for that time, um, for the people I met and the the things that I was able to do and the people I was able to serve alongside, it was just um, it's it's hard to overstate how powerful it is to serve in a community of like-minded professionals that are committed to team and mission and teammate uh, above the interests of self. And um, I loved it, and uh, I wouldn't trade it for anything.
1: Wow, it's so impressive. So. You know, I just want to share with listeners when I first asked you to be on the show and was asking you like about which habit you wanted to talk about, I thought you were going to say something related to SEALs, like something super tactical, like (laughs) orienting yourself on a compass (laughs) and a map or, you know, uh, drinking water sort of a made for habit or even something about sleep. And you mentioned that kindness was important for you to discuss. And I want you to tell the listeners, why you chose kindness and how it, um, relates to the other habits.
2: Yeah. Um, such, such a great question. So I think oftentimes when we think of habits, we're thinking about like, what is that perfect combination of, you know, these high performers do this and this person does that. And I just need the right collection of habits. And then I too will be a high performer. And I think, um, almost even upstream of habits is is mindset. And that's something that we talk a lot about at Made For, right? And so what is the orientation or the disposition that you have that um, is reflexive? It it determines how you meet challenge, how you meet the day, how you make connections, how you respond in real time to uh, the circumstances that you find yourself in. And when I think about that, kindness is one of those mindsets that if you can take some deliberate steps to make a reflexive part of how you're showing up, it affects everything else. And so mm-hmm. kindness, whether that's that's focused externally to how you're engaging with others, or if it's focused internally on how can you be your own best teammate and be kind to yourself, um, I just think it is such a powerful thing and something that you know, people that do really well in the SEAL teams, I think, do a really great job of this, of being kind to themselves and kind to others. And, you know, it's a it can be somewhat of a, you know, a chest beating community at times. But um, and so they might not use the same language. But I think when you unpack everything and strip it all away, kindness uh, is really at the core of, of what we do and and what allows us to maybe push our brains and bodies to places that we otherwise wouldn't think we could go.
1: Yeah, I mean, I read. It's so interesting because you know obviously you have this history as a U.S. Navy SEAL, and I think that when people think about SEALs, like kindness is definitely not the first—the <laughs> first habit they think of. But you know, I read somewhere that you started as a group of 220, and then you ended up as a group of 17. So, and you said multiple times in different interviews I listened to that of the 17 there wasn't something remarkable beyond mindset. So, I'm wondering. You know, of the 17, did they possess some you know, superpower of kindness that the rest didn't?
2: Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. So I talk about this a lot. My, my SEAL training class started with 220. Everyone that showed up physically capable, had all the gifts, had worked really hard to get there, and were determined to be successful in the program. Five weeks in, we were down to 150. Uh, That six week is known as hell week where you stay awake for five and a half days and you're wet and you're cold. We came out of hell week with 36 and the class went on to graduate 17 original candidates. And you, 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 you captured it well. And that those 17 were rather unremarkable. In fact, all of the biggest fastest, strongest people, those that maybe most looked the part or that you thought this person's absolutely going to make it were some of the first to go away uh, Mm -hmm. to ring the bell and decide they didn't want to continue training. And so, when I think about those 17 and the mindsets that they possess, I do think kindness is something that was a common denominator amongst all of them. And, and, and you might say to yourself, oh, that sounds really strange. And even <laughs> I've heard there's probably some, some team guys listening. They're like, come on, dude, like kind of kindness really. But what, what I think, you know, it really amounts to is that, When you find yourself in a really, really challenging circumstance and you are stressed, you're tired, you're cold, you're whatever the stress is for you. For me personally, I've got two-year-old twins right now. I've got a five-month-old boy. Um, Every day I look for the bell. I can't find it. There's nowhere to go.
1: (laughs) There's no life bell. There should be. (laughs)
2: There should be. And so, uh, but... What what happens is when you find yourself in that situation, you can respond one of two ways. One way is to go inside and to ruminate and to fixate on um, the stressors you're experiencing and to feel smaller and closed off and shut down. The other way to think about it is like, how can I be in service to those that are around me? How can I respond in a kind way? How can I look at a teammate and say, hey, are you doing okay? Is there anything I can do for you? Or how can you get out of your own head to project and, um, cultivate kindness in the environment around you. And if you do that, what you find is there's this, this, um, this technical term called emotional contagion that you start feeling the reverberating effects of that, that someone can catch a good mood. And, you know, you may be running with a boat on your head and five people around you and everyone's really down and and suffering and it's painful. And then you, you make a joke to someone or you, you, you have an orientation to say, like, how can I lift this person up? Like just check in. And then like that person cracks a smile. And then pretty soon everyone is laughing at the shared suffering or the experience. And then Quickly, you're out of your head and you're moving again more effectively through the challenge that you find yourself in. And so I think those 17 um, people that are there at the end, the the candidates that made it through SEAL training, um, have this and find a way to lean into this no matter the situation that they find themselves in. Can I be kind? Can I be kind to myself? Can I be kind to my teammates? And if I can, then there's always a way and I can always find a way, a source of resilience or strength, no matter what I'm facing.
1: Yeah, so would you say that kindness is like a core tenant of a good team or like, you know, as being a team player?
2: I absolutely, 100%. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it's um and and again, as as we started the discussion, kindness is almost upstream of all these other habits. So you can map gratitude, you can map, you know, nutrition, you can map fitness, you can map whatever the the habit is that you're thinking about, but like upstream of all of that is how can I respond in such a way that brings out the best in me and brings out the best in someone else? And that to me is what kindness is all yeah. about. Um, and, and knowing that this isn't, this isn't something that is, um, it has, doesn't, it's not a disingenuous act. It's not something that is soft, but this is really a source of resilience and strength and can help improve performance both in the short run and the long run and um, yeah, make life easier and more enjoyable. So
1: Yeah. You know, I think also, and I'm making a huge assumption here, but, you know, I think that there's a, in our culture, there's like this, you know, stereotype that kindness is reserved for, is this like a more feminine trait? It's not Mm -hmm. a masculine trait. And again, that's an assumption, but Um, as a gross stereotype, I think that kindness can get a bad rap in that way. So what would you say to like the masculine guys that (laughs) are trying to adopt a more kind, um, you know, part of their life, you know, is it, does it sort of, um, is it, it's for both genders. It's not one thing or the other is what you're saying.
2: Uh, Absolutely. It's for, it's for everyone. And I think what I would say to anyone who might reject that is that, um, life doesn't have to be so hard. Like it doesn't have to be so much of a grind and a struggle and we can be driven by fear and self-doubt and judgment and be our own like harshest critic. And and that'll get us to a point, Um, but we can go much further if we're starting from a place of kindness, again, both to ourselves and to the people around us. Um, Very quickly, you find that uh, you enlist everyone around you to help you achieve what it is that you want to achieve just by having this small little adjustment uh, in the way that you're engaging people. And you know, we, we talk a lot about this uh, at Made For, um, that with our program, it's not if, but when, at some point you're gonna experience a setback, you're gonna go off track, or you're gonna you know, miss a rung on the, on the Made For ladder, and that's okay. Right. And what we don't want to have happen is that this concept of perfection uh, be, is the thing that prohibits us to have progress and to find ultimately find success. And so what we encourage our members to do is when you find that you've missed something, don't be hard on yourself. Be kind to yourself. Be your own best teammate. Extend yourself a little bit of grace. Recognize that you're not a machine, you're not a robot, you're a human, and life is hard, right? We get yeah. challenged, life gets a vote, throws curveballs our way. Uh, but if we can be kind to ourselves, give ourselves you know, undeserving grace. Then um, that allows us to understand. Okay, I've departed from where I want to be, and now I can start to have the capacity to take the smallest step possible to nudge myself back on track to where I ultimately want to go. And that's a really powerful. Uh, it's a really powerful shift to make for both for our members, but for anyone. And uh, I think kindness is at the source of it.
1: Yeah. So it's resonating for me because I have a lot of clients who struggle with. The inner critic, which is what you're describing, like <laughs> you know, they go off course. They're trying to diet or improve their lives, and. You know, they tend to really beat themselves up. So what advice would you have for people that have this sort of like inner critic that just won't, you know, for lack of a better term, shut up in their heads? That's very unkind to them. You know, I'm a big, yeah. I'm a big fan of um, Kristen Neff, who's like the self-compassion guru. And she always says, like, if you met the voice in your head, you'd be like, go away. <laughs> do not want to be <laughs> friends with you.
2: <laughs> so what advice do you have for those people? Yeah, I, I think, look, that we, our inner voice um, can motivate, motivate us at times. And so everyone's had coaches or teachers that had different styles. Some maybe were uh, more dictatorial. Some maybe were more of a, you know, a, a kind of a softer kind of guide. And like there there are a time and a place for different styles. But what I would pay attention to is, is that inner voice serving you? Is it something that is helpful to you in the moment? Is it helping you think about the bigger thing that you care about? Like, oh, um, I, you know, ultimately want to be in a place where I'm really close with my family, and and is that voice telling you like, hey, the thing that I'm doing right now is not bringing me close to that. So is it helping you be more intentional and aware of the bigger things that drive you and the things that matter most to you? Um, that might be a, a time where that that inner voice is serving you well and pay attention to mm. it. At other times, that inner voice may um, be forcing you into a place of rumination where you just can't stop critiquing yourself and you're hard on yourself and you're, you're focused on, or that voice is talking to you in such a way that, it's not feeling you. It's not helping you feel more capable and confident of achieving ultimately what you want to do, but less so, and that you have less capacity than you otherwise might. And that's in a time where you might want to focus on, like, hey, how can I turn down that inner voice, or how can I interject some kindness here? The good thing is, and the and the, the you know, I think the thing that is most powerful, and again, something we talk about, it made for is that. You have a lot more control than you think that you do, Mm -hmm. right? Whether it's over your behaviors, it's over uh, the habits that you're forming, it's over the mindsets you're cultivating, but you can take the reins back and you can inject a small action. You can inject a small comment. You can start to nudge that inner voice back into a place that's helpful and in service to you. And so that's what I would be attention. That's where I would pay my attention or direct my attention is not demonizing or vilifying this inner voice, but just saying like, Hey, is it helping me or hurting me? where do I want to go? Right. And is this is helping me or hurting me get there? And if it's not helpful, then figure out a way to, um, to steer it to a place that is helpful and kindness can be a great place to start with that.
1: Yeah. You know, I think, thank you so much. And I think people think that they're either wired for kindness or they aren't. And they are just, you know, Oh, she's kind or he's kind. And I'm not. Um, and you talk a lot in your made for program about this concept of neuroplasticity and growth mindset and um, the beautiful book by Carol Dweck. And, I, I wonder, you know, is kindness something that can be learned, and if so, how?
2: Yeah, um, absolutely. Well, you know, you bring up neuroplasticity. So Dr. Andrew Huberman is our lead advisor at made for, and uh, has been with me since the beginning and helping us develop this program. He is a neuroscientist and an expert, <laughs> excuse me, in this field of neuroplasticity and how we can, how we retain the capacity to rewire our brain over the entire course of our life. Um, and if you think about the brain as a, as a proxy for how hey, I can change my mindset, I can change my behaviors, I can learn new skills, learn new languages, that you never lose that capacity. But the first phase of life up until about 20, 25 years of age, we, we our brain is in a, in a state of plasticity or is malleable such that we can just move through environments and the experience shapes us, right? Um, yeah. But past the age of 25, there's a very deliberate process that you have to engage in in order to rewire your brain. Uh, one way is through a short, intense experience. It can be positive or negative. So something like a car accident or the birth of a child, um, and that can rewire your brain and change the way you, you think and move through the world. Um, but those are hard to plan for. And by definition, <laughs> yeah. they're the exception. They're not the norm. And so, and, and oftentimes, those are things that maybe we don't have control over. The other way is through small, consistent action repeated over time, and so being intentional about the activity that you're engaged in, engaged in being aware around the effects of what that is doing for you, and then can you find a way to reinforce those effects so that you start to get this flywheel going? Um, and you, and I know your program's focused on habits, but can you start to think about how can I make something that is deliberate, reflexive, and deliberate, mm. implying that I have to? It, it requires some energy, it requires some effort, it requires my participation, but over time, and if you start you know, leveraging this constant this phenomenon of neuroplasticity, um, you can make those deliberate actions reflexive, and so it changes the way you move through your day, move through your life. And if you're intentional about that, um, it does so for the better. And so um, that's how I think about that. And so when the when when you you raise the question around uh, how what's the best way to cultivate kindness, and that's something that anyone can learn. Absolutely. But I would say the best way to do it is to not try to be kind tomorrow. If you find that you're not kind to yourself, (laughs) or kind to, to others, like don't try to solve this all in one go. What's the smallest step that you can take? Uh, and allow that to be the thing that leads to the next step and the next step, thinking about this idea of neuroplasticity and that like, Hey, this friction that I'm feeling or the, the challenges that I'm experiencing in trying to cultivate a more kind disposition, that's a sign of what it means to progress, what it feels like to get more kind, to get better, to move closer to our goal and, um, yeah, that's, uh, that's certainly at the at the core of the, the Made For program and how we've designed it, but I think it's accessible to anyone and um, that's a great thing.
1: Yeah, so if someone wanted to just um, start with kindness, cause you talk about this idea and you talk about it a lot in Made For, and we'll start talking about this and then we'll go to break, but um, you talk about breaking things down into small steps, right, that that's how um, as humans, we're better sort of like we're more able to create, Um, lasting habit change. So I'm wondering, like, what's the smallest step someone can take to facilitate kindness in their life?
2: Yeah, well, I think it's going to be different for different people. So sometimes people might have a harder time being kind to themselves. Sometimes people might have a harder time being kind to others. And so I would say, wherever you feel stuck, maybe go with a thing that's easier. If it's easier for you to do something for someone else, let that be the starting point, and and then you can feel the reverberating effects of what it means mm. to do something kind for someone else, and have them um, reflect that kindness back to you, and and just pay attention. You know, how does it? What does it feel like to do something very small and kind? And it can be as simple as you know passing someone on the street and just saying like hey, good morning, good afternoon, how are you doing? Making eye contact and trying to lift that person up in the briefest of moments. And there are times where um, maybe someone is caught up in their own head and they ignore you and they uh, they just keep moving on, let that go. But there are going to be times where you noticed that in that brief interaction, you've actually changed the trajectory of someone's experience for that day, where they are all of a sudden they're lifted up and they're like, oh, hi, how are you doing? Nice to see you. Um, and you brighten their day a little bit. And Allow that to, uh, uh, you know, allow yourself to receive what that feels like to lift someone else up, and again, let that be the starting point, and then start to explore. There's no one way, so start to explore how you can maybe bring this to life in other areas of your day. Um, and soon, maybe you'll start to find that, like, wow, all right, this kindness that I'm giving to others, how can I bring some of that into myself? Um, can it can it start with as simple as, uh, you know, doing something, you know? Taking care of your body, like going for a walk, just getting outside, like moving your body a little bit. Can it start with uh, having a, being present to a nice meal and and just whatever that thing is for you, it's going to be unique to individuals, but figuring out how you can extend yourself in kindness in a small way, and then let it grow from there.
1: Awesome. Well, Pat, we're headed for a break. So for all of our listeners, just hold that thought and we'll talk about um, the contagiousness of kindness, which is really an important idea. Um, when we return. So thanks, everyone. Hang tight.
2: Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Try
0: out a free coaching session with your host, Lady Fuller, to learn more about her individualized and corporate coaching programs. Learn to drop bad habits and pick up healthier habits to live a healthier life. Email her at lady at happinessmba.com. That's L-A-D-Y at happinessmba.com. Or check out our coaching business at habits, the letter four, happiness.com. Want to reward clients, customers, or employees with a gift that will blow their socks off? We at International Gifting Company have your next corporate event covered. We carry 250 personalized gifts for on-site incentive events. Or we can create virtual gift boxes your employees and clients can receive at home. Contact us today for a quick and free proposal. We love to wow! Contact info at intlgiftingco.com or check out our webpage at intlgiftingco.com. It's your world. Motivate, change, succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com You are listening to Habits for Happiness. To reach the show today, call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. Now back to our program. Here again is Lady Fuller.
1: And we're back. Thanks everyone for hanging in there during the break. We're here with Pat Dossett, the amazing and inspirational CEO of Made For, the groundbreaking habit change program. So We were talking about when we put a pin in it, you know, this idea of kindness. And I'm really curious sort of if you could tell us sort of is kindness
2: contagious
1: and your thoughts on that?
2: 100%. And I think, you know, it's not unique to kindness, I think um, all emotions are contagious. And so there's this, I I mentioned it earlier, but emotional contagion, this, Mm. this idea that you can catch another person's mood. Um, and so it, I think it just underscores the point of what's the mood that you want to others to catch and what mood do you want to catch from others? And so you can start to be a little bit deliberate about this, but, um, yeah. Kindness breeds kindness. Generosity breeds generosity. Gratitude breeds gratitude. And so um, what's cool about it is that it's not one directional. This is a bi-directional thing. There are feedback loops. And so um, when you're kind to someone else, they're probably going to reciprocate that kindness. And in doing so, it's going to give you greater capacity. It's going to help build your resilience so that the next time you feel challenged or you find yourself having to navigate something um, difficult, you've got a little bit more to give to that situation. And um, the effects of that over time um, it can be pretty transformational. So,
1: Yeah. So, you know, I, one of the things just sort of like switch, switching gears here for a second is, um, you know, in the workplace. So a lot of people that are listening, obviously work and workforces and, um, you know, how is kindness, uh, you know, tell us a little bit about your thoughts on kindness and leadership and also kindness in the workplace as sort of a secondary piece of that.
2: Yeah, well, I've had the good fortune of serving under a number of amazing leaders, both in the military and outside of the military. And I think that, you um, my favorite leaders and the most effective leaders that I've seen have always drawn their, um, have always been servant leaders. So leaders that have put the mission and the people on the team, uh, whether it's the company uh, or the organization they're in, ahead of their own interest. And so if you if you have this mindset of, how can I be in service to the people around me and how can I bring out the best in the people around me, um, Good things happen. Right. And Mm. so this a servant leader is someone that and and this has been been talked about a lot uh, by this point, but it's something that I think is is. Someone that is, is really really effective and they draw their their base of power not from um, their position or from their you know their authority but rather from you know a, a referent power base or an expert power base that like hey I care about you and I want to bring out the best in you and because of that people want to follow that person and they want to do the best for that person and ultimately everyone is able to do the best for the mission or whatever the objective is at hand and so I think where people go wrong sometimes is they find themselves in a position of Power and they have the presumption that, like, well, mm. I'm in a leadership position. I have to know everything, and people are expecting me to have all the answers and to tell them exactly what to do and to give them the right, uh, you know, the, the right answer at all times. And that's just not true, right? Where I, I, I'm never in a room where I'm the smartest person, uh, nor is anyone else. The collective wisdom of everyone around you is that's the real job of a leader. Is how can you harness that, leverage that, and bring that out to, to maximum effect and if you're kind, uh, then that puts you in a place of you're more likely to be, I think, a servant leader and uh, and to take steps accordingly. And I think ultimately it makes everyone more effective.
1: Yeah. So, you know, in the workplace, it just it dawns on me that, you know, people that want to get promotions, it's sort of like, you know, the way that the U.S. can be is that we're sort of a dog-eat-dog world and, you know, you have to be really uber competitive. So I'm wondering, what is the relationship between competition and kindness?
2: hmm um, well, I think look, there are some work environments are better than others. And so I think it, it all goes back to what's the what's the time horizon uh that you're looking to achieve your maximum effect. And so if you're an organization that is focused on Quarterly returns, and you don't care about your people, and you are you want to foster an environment of extreme competition and pressure. Then um, you are probably going to get some performance in the short run out of people, but that performance is going to come at a cost. Eventually, you're going to break your people. They're going to you're going to create a culture that's uh, toxic, where people don't work together. They work uh, independent of one another, and they work against one another. And ultimately, in doing so, they're working against the long term interests of the company. And so um, That's, I think it's incumbent upon the leadership to make sure that you're setting the conditions and the incentives right so that uh, you're creating a culture of collaboration and of service, uh, not only for individuals, but across the the organization uh, writ large. And if you do so, then that time horizon performance extends much longer. Now you start to retain people that care about what you're doing, care about the company, care about each other, are invested in the long term effects and maximizing long term returns for the company. Um, which I think is, is obviously what, what everyone ultimately wants. But you have to be able to have the discipline to pull yourself out of this, this short-term goal of like, hey, we have to drive towards a short-term performance so that you can start to have the you know, long-term, real meaningful impact and performance that, you know, that, that drives the greatest returns.
1: Yeah, I wonder if you could give us sort of like a colorful story about your time as a Navy SEAL um, where kindness you know, was super helpful in the team and or in your life?
2: Yeah, let me think about that. That's a great question. Um, I uh, I spent, I had, I had the, I don't know if it's a misfortune or the good fortune. Um, I, I spent a couple of years on a sealed delivery vehicle team. And so for those that, that don't know what a sealed delivery vehicle is, it is basically a mini submarine um that uh we use to conduct operations and so this mini submarine is what's known as a wet submersible so you'll have a pilot and a navigator that sit up in the front of the boat uh we call it a boat and we have four people that sit in the back of the boat um and this whole thing is is probably you know the length of a of a of a living room something like that it's wet meaning you're you're on your own oxygen you're breathing oxygen but water is claustrophobic <laughs> water is flowing in and out of this thing the entire time and so wow. you're wet and you're cold and you close the doors and so it's dark and i was i was the team leader of the of the group of people that worked out at the back of the boat and so by the time you get everyone inside this this little mini submarine there's four people sitting in there they're generally big people and you bring in all of your equipment and your radios and your weapons and your your rucksacks, you have about this much room to move around. And for those of you that are listening, I'm just wiggling my fingers and hands. There's not a lot of space. Again, um, claustrophobic. Yeah. So and, and I'm a bigger guy. I get... I, I sometimes get claustrophobic, but more importantly, I get seasick. Uh, I'm not someone that that does well uh, in moving vehicles, but this mini submarine will launch off the back of a big submarine, and you'll be in there for, you know, the first hour is okay. You kind of get a little chilly and, you start to, to cramp up a little bit, but you know, the benefit of being in the water and wearing a wetsuit is that you get to, you get to go to the bathroom and it warms you up for a little bit, but eventually you warm out of water you run out of water and that stops working. And, you know, a couple hours later, you start getting really cold, but because we drive these mini submarines at, you know, 10 to 15 feet of water, you're still susceptible to the open ocean swells. And so you're still rocking and moving, but you don't have the benefit of a horizon to look at. And, um, so you start getting seasick, and then it, it you know very quickly you know one hour turns to two hour turns to four hours turns to six hours. You're seasick. You're cold. You're tired. You're you're wet. You're all of the things. And and this, by the way, is just the ride to start your job, right? You get. It, it this sounds end, awful. You they take the SUV. <laughs> you get to a place, and then like they open up the doors. You get out, and then you have to go do your do your job. Um, and I was on. We were we were we were doing some some work. Um, off the SDVs. And I remember I'm the guy in the back of the boat. I've got, you know, three people that are depending upon me. Again, I'm the leader, supposed to be in charge. And for one, for whatever reason, I got particularly sick on this one, this one training uh, exercise that we're doing. And so the whole time I was throwing up over the course of the, the six hour ride. And when I got out, I was just, I was not an effect. There's nothing I could do other than just put one foot in front of the other. I couldn't be effective. I couldn't lead the team. And I remember one of, uh, one of my guys, uh, Dino, you know, grabbed me on the shoulder and he could see that I was like having a hard time because I wanted to be the person that says, all right, here, we're going to, we're going to go here. We're going to do this. And he could just see that I didn't have the capacity. I didn't have everything that I needed to, to do that at that time. Um, all I could do was focus on myself. Uh, and Dino put his hand on my shoulder. He said, he said, Hey, sir, don't worry about it. He's like, I got it. Like you just, just in line mm-hmm. And you let me know when you feel, when you feel back at it and, And, uh, and, and we'll go from there. And so it was such a little thing, but it allowed me to shift to, to, I guess, reaffirm and realize that like, look, as a leader, I'm not always going to be the one that has the answers. And I don't always have to be leading from the front that there are times where I just need to fall back and sit alongside my teammates and let the person that has the ability at the time to lead. And it was a moment of kindness, uh, but it stayed with me. And you know after a couple hours i was able to to regain my composure have some water and then and then we carried on with what we were doing but um yeah it's a small vignette but again i think it's one that's uh, that's important and kind of can resonate for people
1: such a great story thanks for sharing so you know i read that you um really like this book by clay christensen called um how you measure life is that the, did i get the title right uh,
2: yeah how will you, how will you measure your how life?
1: will you measure your life yeah and so How do we measure kindness?
2: How do you measure kindness? It's a great question. Um, I think that you know one way to look at it is um, how are you feeling? Like what are the what are the types of relationships that you've cultivated in your life? Um, Do you feel like the people that surround you are bringing out the best in you? And do you feel like you're bringing out the best in yourself. And so I think there's some, some a level of subjectivity here. This isn't uh, a device that we can wear that's going to give us our kindness score and tell us how we're performing, but rather that um, you have to be attuned to how are you feeling uh, and are the people that you're surrounding yourself with bringing out the best in you? if they are and you're feeling really good, then the chances are, you know, kindness is, um, it plays a role in that and you're doing good. Now, the great thing about kindness or gratitude or whatever, uh, the area of focus is that, that you want is that you can always do more of it. Uh, and it, it, the more you do it, these things are like their circuits they are like muscles, they get bigger and you grow your capacity over time. And so, um, there's there's you're never going to have a uh too much kindness i would i would say but there's some subjectivity to how you're feeling that if and on the other on the flip side if if you're feeling like man i just i don't like the people around me or like they're constantly bringing me down or i feel like uh i'm not my own best teammate i'm constantly bringing myself down then then that should be assigned to you that like all right where are the opportunities where i could extend kindness to others or to myself and um and then see where that goes. And my, you know, my experience would tell me that that's going to serve you well and and make you feel more confident, and capable, and lead to a better place.
1: Yeah, definitely for certain. So I think what this is like a much broader question, but you know, I wouldn't say that kindness and you know, you can you can, we can debate about this probably till the cows come home. But that kindness is like the default in our society. It doesn't seem to be right. So. I I want to just like pick your brain. What do you think is what do you think holds us back from being kind? Like, what as a society, as a culture, as a you know, what holds us back from that?
2: Yeah, man, that's a that's a big question. Um,
1: <laughs> it's what? one that I'm sure we could debate forever. That's a whole other episode. But it's so interesting. Like, if we can tackle like the obstacle or what we perceive as the obstacle, then we can unleash this sort of like. You know, as you described, like this bucket that never empties of this ability to be kind.
2: Yeah, I think um, I, I, I've talked about this before, but I think this idea of inertia versus momentum has a role to play. And so, uh, inertia is is us getting carried through our life. It's our day. Mm-hmm. It's us just getting pulled through. You know, whether it's work demands or you know personal demands or just going through the routine and having. Everything just happened to us, right? Like mm-hmm. that, uh, we're not—we don't have agency or control over what we're experiencing. That's what inertia feels like. On the other hand, momentum is where you're taking deliberate, intentional steps or getting into action in small ways um, that build on one another over time, so that you have the agency and the control, and it's putting you in the driver's seat to um, to move closer to the things that you care about and to create the type of uh, world that you want to live in. And so I think maybe that uh, at times that this idea of inertia has a role to play. We find ourselves, we're, we're overworked, we're tired, we're stressed. Mm -hmm. We have all of these commitments, these demands placed upon us. uh, And we are just, and you, you can see it in your mind, people walking through the street, like I'm racing from one thing to the other. I'm not present and attuned to what's going on around me. Uh, I'm not present or aware even of the opportunities where I might be able to extend some kindness to someone else and lift them up because I'm so stuck in my head and in responding to the inertia that I find myself in. Um, and so I think where we can just induce a little bit more of awareness and this idea of momentum, uh, and and help people understand that they have more control than they think that they do, and that if you mm-hmm. can exert control even in the smallest of ways, that over time that is going to help serve to build your momentum, and you can guide momentum in whatever direction you want. Uh, to whatever effect you want. So that's how I think about it. It's something certainly that we work uh, very closely with at Made for and in, in, in this concept and helping people establish positive momentum in their lives. Yeah, I love this idea of inertia and momentum. I mean, I talked about that
1: in the opener, right? Like these ancients have been telling us that we have agency over well being for, you know, centuries and we've sort of lost it in the, you know, craziness of our freneticness of our daily routines. So it's an important lesson to come back to. So on that note, I'm going to zoom out just like one more concentric circle and then we can talk about Made for because it's so exciting. And um, as I mentioned, I am a graduate of Made for. Um, it was pivotal in my life. So thank you so much for putting this program together. And I guess what we just want to ask if you could tell us, you know, why it was important to go from this from being a U.S. Navy SEAL, you obviously were at Google, and there was some other things going on. But then you became. What made you start a self development program? Focus primarily. What I'm interested in is, and I think people are interested in, is habit change. Like, why why habit change? Um, as you're sort of in your hero's journey, as your give back.
2: Yeah, um, great question. Well, I think it starts. Um, I think you know it. It comes out of. Uh, of the experiences that I've, I've been fortunate to to have in my life, one of the things that I don't I don't care how long you're in the military for or you're in a service organization for, if you're in it long enough, at some point in time, service becomes part of the fabric of who you are. That you have to, if you're not existing in a place where you can be in service to a mission or something bigger than yourself, a cause bigger than yourself, it feels very disorienting and alienating. And -hmm. so when I left the military, I didn't realize how much that had become part of the fabric of who I was. And when I found myself going through business school and around a lot of really, really smart people that um, maybe had different drivers or motivators than I did, it felt a little bit at times self-serving that, wow, okay, Mm -hmm. is it about money? Is it about this? Is it about this. And I didn't really have that same feeling that I had when I was in the military where I felt connect connected to a bigger cause or a bigger Mm -hmm. purpose. And so I was looking for that. Um, I was fortunate enough to, while I was going through graduate school to be introduced to the field of positive psychology by a, a woman named Dr. Angela Duckworth. And a lot of what they spoke of in that course was this idea that we all have the capacity to grow the good inside us, that uh, if we can take small steps to cultivate, whether it's habits, uh, mindsets, uh, behaviors, um, that we have this capacity to cultivate those things in a way that's in line with the way that our brains and body are designed, that mm-hmm. so we can grow what's good in our lives. We don't have to focus on avoidance and um, uh, minimizing downside risk or stopping bad behaviors, but instead we can focus on what are the small things that we can do that help us be better and grow what's good inside us. And that resonated for me because it mapped very much well very well to what I was seeing in the those 17 original um, students in the SEAL team's leverage, and um, I was excited about serving that mission. I didn't know what form it was going to take until a few years later. Uh, I was with my co-founder, Blake McCoskey, and we started talking about this idea of Wouldn't it be cool if we could help others recognize the good they have inside themselves? And if we could help individuals show up better for themselves in their own lives, and the compounding effects of that are that they're going to make everyone else around them better too. And that Mm. seemed to be a worthy mission to serve and and why I started working on Made For.
1: Yeah. So tell um, listeners, thank you so much. This idea of positive Mm. contagion is like contagious to say, (laughs) (laughs) pun intended, but um, I love it. And I'd love for you to be able to share with listeners how they can sign up for Made For, what, a little bit more about what Made For is, the different types of programs. I know you guys are launching a new um, program also and you know where they can find more information.
2: Yeah. Um, well, thank you for the opportunity to, to talk about Made For. Um, and I'm glad we have a couple minutes because it's ha- it's always difficult to put made for into a, a pithy one-liner. So <laughs> I'm glad I have a little, the floor of, is yours. a little bit of time to talk. I think, you know, the best place to start when talking about made for is that there is no one way. There's no one morning routine, one evening routine, one set of habits uh, that will help everyone be better. Um there, we all have unique circumstances, unique challenges that we're facing. We all have unique values and unique visions for the future. Um, and instead of focused on uh, quick fixes and instead of focusing on fads and focusing on things that work for other people, Made For helps guide the individual through um, a series of small steps that allows them to discover what works best for them. Uh, we do that over the course of 10 months. We visit a variety of areas of focus. Things that are foundational, like hydration and gratitude, movement, rest, nature, connection, uh, nutrition. Um, but we visit these foundational areas, maybe through a bit of a different lens. Um, we we explore the science uh, and what are the what does the science say about the benefits of a given practice, um, and then we we help package that science in a, in, a, in a form of a story that excites you to get you into action. And we pair the science with behavioral science challenges that have been designed around this 21 day model. So what is the smallest thing we can get you to do each day for a period of 21 days? And These aren't things that are really challenging. In fact, most of them integrate with your, your normal daily routine, but small ways that you can direct your attention and effort so that you start to establish more control more agency, and then feel the effects of your effort, that they help bring out the best in the way that your brain and body are designed. Uh, We deliver this whole program. I built it again alongside Dr. Andrew Huberman and John Rady and Ruth Benka and Sam Rattara, people that are just brilliant minds um, in these scientific disciplines, whether from the National Institute of Mental Health or Stanford or Harvard, or um, they come from, from a wide variety of fields. But we worked with them to put this program together to make sure that what we were delivering, every small step that we delivered was going to have a positive effect on an individual. Um, But they were all going to be mapped Uh, back to this idea of what is the best way to change the brain at any stage of life, Mm -hmm. right? And again, the brain as a proxy for your mindsets, for your behaviors, uh, when you feel maybe you're in a place that like, you know, I've tried to do this, or I've tried to get that, and I wasn't successful, and I'm never going to be successful. And I just can't seem to get to where I want to be made for is the perfect solution for you, because we make it easy, accessible, interesting, and there's there's no fluff it made for. there's there's It's all backed in science and it's um, all beneficial. Now, what we hear from members is that at the end of the program, um, they don't have a list of 10 things that they have to do every day to be happy or well, but rather that they reflexively, reflexively are moving through their day differently, that they are showing up better for themselves and for those they care most about in their lives. And that um, is a really amazing place to be. Um, we have mentioned
1: mentioned that it's
2: all analog too. I thought that was the coolest part of the program for me yeah yeah yeah. so it's a uh, yeah great point thank you for for raising that and so made for you know I think is the is the world's leading uh, habit change program for offline change so we have this we have all of these touch points for our for our members in terms of You know, two way texting, coaching support, and you know, video calls. And we have, we're launching a new digital portal next week where our members connect with one another and connect with our team and get supported. And we have all of these things, but they're all designed to compel you to get into action offline, to close your devices, and to connect with your capacity to create change and benefits in your life. So, this idea that, and I say this a lot look, if you have to wear a device, Uh, look at a screen or an app or wear some wearable or tracker and look at some external score to tell you how you're feeling or how you're performing, you've missed a critical first step. And that first step really is, can you be attuned to the signals and cues your body is sending you and how best you can respond to them to bring out the best in you? And that's Mm -hmm. what made for is working on. We help people develop greater growth mindset. We help people Develop greater self compassion and uh, uh, recognition of how they can control these small things to to great effect. But I think through all of it, um, we're helping people discover how best to show up for themselves, and we're doing it using science and story and a really powerful growth oriented community. And it's been a ton of fun and it's exciting. And um, yeah, so we're next next yeah. week. We are you know if this yep. is of interest to anyone, I recommend going to our website www GetMadeFor.com made uh, to check us out next week. We'll be uh, unveiling a new website, uh, but you can sign up now for our wait list and we'll notify you when that, when that comes up, we've got some new programs that are coming out. And for those that are on our wait list, uh, you'll be getting um, some unique opportunities to, to get some, some big discounts early on. So uh, we'd love to welcome you to our community. It's been an exciting place and it's been fun. We've been working on it for four years now. We've served almost 10,000 members wow. and they're, from 17 to 82, every single demographic, every state, some countries outside the U.S. And uh, it's, it's been exciting. And we're, uh, I think the, the, the funnest part for the team and myself and for Andrew is, is seeing individuals um, turn the light on inside themselves, that all of a sudden they're like more capable, more confident, more connected and growing closer to the things that matter most to them. And um, it's, been wow. a, it's been a fun mission to serve.
1: Wow, turning other people's lights on—what a what an honor <laughs> and an amazing um, part of your journey. So, thank you, Pat, so much today for sharing with us. Um, it's been an amazing conversation, and I want to just remind everyone that um, the road to happiness is paved with healthy habits and, especially, kindness. So, please listen next week. Next week for another riveting conversation on a powerful habit that can change your life. Thanks, everyone, for listening today.
2: Thank you, Lady.
0: Thank you for tuning in to Habits for Happiness. Please join Lady Fuller for another edition of the program next Friday morning at 11 a.m. Eastern Time and 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. This week, discover how to find your new happy place.